anybody who decides that i am going to focus on this one task with exclusion of every other distraction will be head and shoulders over the others because all the others what they are doing is they are taking a nail and they are hammering it in a table one blow here another blow here another blow here and wondering why the nail is not going inside the table whereas what you would be doing is taking the nail holding it in the same place and hitting it five times so that with each stroke it goes a few inches in and enters the table or or, or crosses the wood so in other words in a world where everyone has add anybody who has the ability to focus even 15 20 30% more than the others will succeed hey everybody welcome back to the next move podcast and if this is your first time on the show we're a podcast that share the strategies stories and tools behind people who are making an impact in india and today i have captain raghu raman with me who is a man of many titles he's been part of the indian armed forces for over 12 years he's been a ceo of several mahindra companies he is a speaker he is an author he is a coach he is a man who has many hats on and in this podcast i really want to dive deep into two major things the first discipline you know anybody who knows me or anybody who's a friend with me knows that i've been fascinated by the army for years after starting to read into it there's so much about the mental aspect of it which i think all of us can take away so we're going to dive deep into that and the second is learning and adaptability within the army you have to learn many different skills and outside captain raman has played so many different roles like i just mentioned and in today's world all of us don't want to be pigeonholed into the finance guy or the marketing guy or girl or anything person so i want to learn how do you adapt so let's get straight into it captain raman i want to start with the second point that i that i brought up in the introduction you've played so many different roles and you've worn so many different hats can you talk about why you did that why didn't you choose to just stay in the army for your whole career or to be a ceo for your whole career what was the thinking behind it uh, much as i would like to you know sort of uh, narrate that there was some major strategic planning in the way my life turned out that's not the truth the truth is uh, uh, it was as in many cases in many of our lives uh, a series of different serendipitous uh, instances which happened which which made these changes uh, take place uh, which is basically the the first stint in the armed forces and then uh, a sort of 16 year 14 12 years stint i would say in the in the mahindra group then going into the government then again coming back into the private sector a lot of that was happening more because of uh, events that were unfolding in, in in the environment but having said that i think uh, to to elaborate on your point about why it's uh, probably more necessary now to uh, be be a kind of a leader or uh, even an even a, a, a individual uh, who is multi skilled in different dimensions because the world of the future is going to be actually a hybrid skill world it's it's not going to be a, a, a siloed or a pigeonholed world and of course there was a, a, a there is a, there always will be a place in the world for super super specialists but i think the future of organizations future of uh, disciplines future of products is not going to be a, a single track or a single speciality it will have to be a combination and i often use this example of uh, of a company like say apple and and you you try to 
sort of figure out what kind of company is it? Is it a technology company? Because frankly, no technology company sells its product by adding an adjective beautiful to a product. Technology companies don't sell their product as beautiful. They sell it with hard disk capacity, gigabytes and uh, pixels and stuff like that. Uh, they don't sell it with aesthetic sense. They don't package it like perfume. Now, Therefore, you suddenly realize that Apple is actually not a technology company per se, because there is a storytelling element to how Apple launches its products. There is a positioning uh, statement which makes every young kid, uh, uh, virtually every young kid, want to own an Apple product, even if it is a nano. It, it's almost like an aspirational uh, brand. So, what company is it? Is it is it a is it a technology company or is it a DreamWorks company? So. I think the ability of uh, a leader to take a technology company, give it uh, amazing sense of aesthetic beauty, uh, to give it a sense of luxury, it only comes from a leader who has spent a lot of time studying calligraphy. And that is why the, there is an appreciation of fonts, a lot of time practicing uh, Zen Buddhism, and that is why there is a, there is a, there's a sort of simplicity uh, in the interface of an uh, Apple product. Uh, who's who's able to understand that I need to bring in experts from the retail, uh, and, and so therefore he brings in people from uh, Gap, senior leaders from Gap or from Burberry, and actually create uh, um, a, a, an experience, not a product, an experience. But to create an experience, you need to be uh, multi-dimensional aware. You may not be expert. Of course, you can't be an expert in each one of these dimensions, but you have to be aware of the importance of these dimensions and get them to work together. That, in a nutshell, is going to be the definition of uh, leadership in the coming years because there is no single company that is going to be able to provide or a single product which is going to be able to provide a very high-tech niche service. It will have to be a combination and a collaboration of many different disciplines working together. And for that, I think uh, leaders need to have the ability to uh, switch between domains. So that is one part of the answer. The second part of the answer is at some level, in any kind of a leadership position, uh, your fundamental job is problem solving. And problem solving is actually based on two components. One is, of course, your domain expertise. So if you're a domain expert and say, so I'll take an example of, uh, let's say, oil and gas, because that, that was the mainstay of the organization that I worked for uh, uh, last, which is uh, Reliance. Now, from oil and gas, this giant makes a switch towards telecom or towards retail. And, and dominates each one of those areas coming out as a major player in those areas. Now, that's not possible if, if the DNA of the organization was that we only know how to solve problems in one domain. Uh, that's only possible if the organization DNA is we know how to solve any problem, even if we don't understand the domain. We'll figure out the frameworks, will the, the problem-solving frameworks, we'll, we'll, we'll adapt the right framework for it, we'll hire the right kind of people, we'll get in ex external expertise if required. But... They are not limited by a canvas or a boundary of a domain expertise. And I think that's the kind of leadership which will be required in the future. So while there will be, of course, as I said, uh, always space for ultra-specialist niche individuals, uh, I think the future will belong to people who have a much broader uh, sense of uh, skill which can be fused together to create something new. Yeah, and you know, I read something today actually that was talking about as we go into the future and robots and all this AI is able to do so much more of what humans do, 
we're going to have to be creative. And that involves being creative in so many different aspects of our life. And we're going to jump around a bit in this podcast. So we'll get back to the army a bit later. But I want to, I want to dive deep into you're moving from the army into being the CEO of Mahindra companies. Now, what was your thinking at the time? Were you nervous? Were you, you know, I've never done this before. How, how do I go into this? And once you did, what were a few tactics and, and strategies that you learned to help translate from industry to industry or role to role? So, of course, I was nervous. I, I think, uh, honestly speaking, I've been nervous whenever I've taken on any uh, any role, whether it's a CEO of a, a, a startup or a CEO of a big joint venture, which is getting together, I have been nervous. And I think that's a healthy sign. I, I think uh, before that, I, I mean, a healthy sense of nervousness, uh, I, I like a sense of anticipation, like a sense of, like something that you get when you go on stage to speak to people. I've, I've, I've spoken uh, uh, several, several times, but each time I go on to stage, I have that healthy sense of uh, anticipation mixed with a sense of uh, fear. What if things go wrong? I have that sense. And I remember many years ago, I met a, a very, very famous uh, uh, public speaker. And I was uh, speaking with him and, and uh, you know, we were exchanging notes and I was telling him that, you know, despite so many years of uh, and he pointed out something which was very interesting. He said that uh, the only uh, people who are not afraid when they go to speak in front of other people in, in, in public are either people who don't give a you know, damn about their audience. They don't give a damn. They don't give a damn how they perform, whether they're liked, not liked, whether the session was good or not good, whether the audience wasted their time or not. They don't give a damn. Or they have to be clinically insane. It's only these two uh, categories of people who will not feel a sense of apprehension before they take on something new. So that to my mind is a very good signal. Uh, when, when, when you have that, you know, sort of a little bit of a palpitation, it's a good signal to tell you that you are stepping out of your comfort zone because it's only in your comfort zone that you don't feel nervous. So I think feeling nervous before taking on any assignment is a healthy side because it tells you that you acknowledge that you are trading into unknown zone, which means uh, you have to ask for help, which means you have to be vulnerable, which means to a certain extent you will uh, not be stupid enough to assume that you know it all and, and therefore you will ask questions and therefore you are less likely to make uh, uh, stupid mistakes and more likely to leverage the organizational uh, tribal knowledge as well as uh, get cooperation from a lot of leaders uh, who are working with you because they believe that you're the sort of a person who will say, I don't know, and therefore will ask rather than I will tell you how it needs to be done, which kind of assumes that I know how to do it. So I think, <clears throat> I think that's a good thing. The second part uh, about, there are frameworks, of course. Uh, leadership is all about uh, using inadequate information to take decisions which will be reasonably good. That is what uh, leadership is all about. Uh, if, if you and, and usually those decisions are not between a right and a wrong. Those are easy decisions. The tough decisions are between one right and another right or one wrong and another wrong. And over a period of time, you collect, uh, just like a chess player, uh, over a period of time collects uh, a, a assortment of moves, an assortment of patterns, an assortment of, uh, you know, sort of plays. And uses the sequences of those plays, adjusting them, mixing them together as for the situation. I, I think you start gaining those experiences. Of course, they, you gain them at, at a great expense sometimes at uh, 
in expense of making mistakes. At other times, you learn it from uh, others. Uh, and and uh, I, I think once you have this repertoire of uh, solution frameworks, uh, you are able to spot uh, what could be a, 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 an issue and, and uh, put together these uh, uh, plays, so to speak, leadership plays, and, and create a, a solution that will see you through, even if you are not very familiar with the domain. So to that extent, I think these frameworks do help. That That's awesome. And I really want to go back onto the point where you're about to step on stage and you have nerves. It's an hour before or six hours before, a day before you're nervous. It's a big presentation. You know, even before these podcasts, I always get a little bit of a jitter. You know, what, what if it goes awfully? What if, you know, the questions don't come out right? What if the, the rapport isn't there? So there's always nerves. Is there anything in the moment that you do? Is there self-talk? Is there breathing exercises? You know, what do you do right before stepping out to, to get and calm yourself down? So I'll give you an army analogy. It's an interesting one. And I've used this analogy for many, many principles in my life. It's slightly technical, but I think uh, since you are interested in the army, you will understand it. So many years ago when I was a cadet in the academy, and uh, we were being taught, amongst other things, how to fire weapons. And we had a weapons instructor. Uh, Colonel Zakaria, he was from the Madras Regiment. Uh, I'm talking about good 30, 35 years ago. And he taught us the basics of uh, firing a weapon. <clears throat> and he taught us something which I think is a very important principle in life. Uh, so of course, he was teaching firing, but I think that principle can be applied in many things. So basically, I don't know if you've ever fired a weapon, any weapon, maybe an air gun also. But essentially, what needs to happen is you align three things. You align the rear sight of your rifle to the front sight foresight as we call it, and then you align it to the target. So there are these three things. There is a foresight, there is the rear sight, which is the circle, and then there is the target, and it's your job to close one eye and just align these three and then press the trigger. And that's the basics of uh, firing a weapon, and whether you're a marksman or uh, you know an ace uh, shot, this is the fundamental principle. You basically are able to align these three things together. So he would often tell us <coughs> that your job as a good shot or a good fighter is basically to take one look at the target and then align the foresight and the rear sight and just make sure that the foresight is bang in the center of the rear sight. That's all you have to do. Now you forget about the target. The rationale was very simple. The rationale was that if you kept the foresight in the center of the rear sight and even if your rifle moved an inch here or an inch there, but if the foresight moved away from the center, that one millimeter difference will translate into several hundred feet by the time the bullet reaches the target. So to translate that, yes, it's good to have jitters uh, six hours before, four hours before, right before the podcast, whether the rapport will happen, this, that, or whatever. You can have that jitters. But when the session starts, your job is to make sure that the foresight and the rear sight are absolutely aligned and nothing else really matters. So I think the ability to be nervous, be anticipating, be, be apprehensive, but when the session starts, when the talk starts, when your mission begins, when you go into the raid, when you come back, you have to be totally focused on the moment. Think about it last time when you were, let's say, jumping over a ditch. Just think about it. Maybe as a kid, you were jumping over a ditch. So you took off from this side and you're going to land on the other side and your foot was out there and you were looking at the edge. At that moment, you didn't think of anything else. 
in that one moment when you were in midair you would not think about your problems at home or what your folks said you don't have, you just thought about landing your foot at the other edge because if it didn't land you would fall into the ditch as simple as that so i think there is a room there is space for apprehensiveness in any any walk of life but once you begin the activity once the the light goes on 3 2 1 light at that moment uh, you have to have absolute focus in just centering the foresight and the rear sight which means in that frame giving it your 110% focus by and large i think that uh, works uh, pretty well and there's two things that you said right there that i'm really interested in the first is you mentioned it briefly but it's preparation you know when it's time to strike and it's going live you're ready right you're always ready and the second thing is focus now before we get on to the second bit which is focus which is i have so many questions about and i think a lot of millennials struggle with doing one thing and focusing at any given time i want to i want to talk about preparedness now in anything when you're getting prepared for a podcast or you're getting prepared to go for a speech what what are your kind of mechanisms to prepare for something i think the, the again like much of my learning and much of what i use uh, on a daily basis uh, uh, is something that i have learned uh, in the army that was my foundational institution and uh, even if even of those examples can be illustrated in other ways i usually prefer the army way of illustrating it because that is not something uh, new that is which stood the test of time for centuries i'm not talking just the indian army now i'm talking about the armed forces the knowledge and the repository of the knowledge that uh, the forces have uh, basically they are the fountainhead for all management principles span of command control this that most of the technologies that you're familiar with have actually originated in the time of uh, war basically for warfare so uh, i i think we can draw a lot of lessons from there uh before any mission Uh, i think one of the primary responsibilities of the mission planner is to do a lot of uh, reconnaissance a lot of research so you have to have whether it's a podcast for your audience whether it's a presentation for your client you need to do a fair amount of reconnaissance about what the client needs what are the background what are the hot buttons what's the lingo that they will understand what will fly over their head uh what is the cultural nuances uh, uh, like for instance i have seen many uh, leaders who are uh, used to working in the uh, let's say western markets uh find it very difficult to be successful in the eastern markets because eastern markets are much more about hierarchy about nuance about paying respect to elders about uh, a maneuver you don't you don't sort of hit head on you 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 sort of you speak and then you circle around the issue that you want to discuss you suss around and then you actually get to the point whereas in the west in many of the communications there is a lot of emphasis on being to the point and get to the crux of it you know don't waste time now these are two different cultures and and if you don't uh, if you have not done the reconnaissance uh, if you, if you take equipment that will not uh, or or the equipment that you have taken into the battlefield is not going to function there because uh, the land is marshy or or the bridges can't hold the weight of the tanks that's poor reconnaissance it's poor preparation so there is no doubt that uh, uh, time we have a saying in the army that time spent in reconnaissance is never wasted because no matter how much time you spend just trying to understand uh, the client or understand the audience or understand who you are delivering to that's never a waste and so that to my mind is the fundamental that you you really need to prepare there is no doubt about it uh over a period of time you will also get into situations where you may not be able to prepare for that particular situation 
So it may be possible that at times you may be called in to do something impromptu. Life may throw a curveball at you. You are not prepared to do something someday. But let's say out of the blue, uh, you suddenly get a call from somebody who has not been answering your mail for months and says, okay, I'm ready for the interview in the next half hour, if you are ready. It happens. Life happens. It may not be this specific example, but it may happen. You may be, you may be at an airport where you suddenly run into somebody to whom you were planning to make a pitch and you have the whole thing ready and the person says, okay, just tell it to me in the next five minutes or something like that. Life does that very often. At that point of time, the basic fundamentals of preparation work. It, you may not have prepared for that particular meeting. Let me give you an analogy. Let's say that you are a good athlete. Now, what does that mean? A good athlete means you've got good hand and eye coordination. You have got good stamina. You have good agility. Your chances of being able to play any game are far better than a person who specialized only in one game because that person's muscle memory, the person's, you know, sort of, uh, it's all oriented towards that one particular game and that one particular setting. And if that one particular game and one particular setting is not exactly the way it's supposed to be, that athlete may not perform very well. But on the other hand, if you have an athlete who's basically looking at the building blocks of being an athlete, which is stamina, coordination, training, or, or, you know, those kind of aspects, they are more likely to be able to deal with situations uh, which uh, uh, may not give you time to prepare. And most of the situations in life are like that. They won't give you, uh, they won't give you uh, that much of uh, even forewarning before occurring. So you really will not have that much of time to prepare for that particular event. But so long as you have been in training, quote unquote, in training, you are more likely to be able to respond to a situation for which you are not specifically prepared. Got it. And, you know, a few weeks ago when we first started talking and emailing back and forth, I started doing a lot of research on you and I was watching your Josh talk. And you talked about, you know, at any moment, if you're not shaven or you're not dressed well when you leave the office or before you come into the office, you just quickly put on your tie and get in. And that really reframed a lot of how I think about everything I do. For example, with this podcast, I need to have backup Wi-Fi for my hotspot, or I need to have, make sure that everything is perfect before you come on. You need to be prepared. And that really changed the way that I think about getting set up to do something. So I really enjoyed that. Um, and now I want to I wanna transition into focus. The second big thing, the thing that so many of us millennials really struggle with you know, we're doing podcasts, we're working, we're trying to start a business on the side. We're doing so many different things that I feel like nothing ever gets done properly. Mm. Could you talk about the importance of focus? Uh, yes. Uh, so I think uh, this uh, distraction and, and the, the need at times to do multiple things simultaneously, firstly, it's not the prerogative of millennials, you know, uh, generations before us, uh, uh, young people have struggled to maintain a, a living. They have worked in the father's store, come back in the evening and studied, and then also participated in competitive exams and cleared those exams. And uh, there are people who have who got their whole education while they were uh, holding a job that was, you know, sort of keeping uh, the bread going in the family. So this belief that uh, suddenly the world has changed and now you have to do multiple things is it's not uh, it's not strictly speaking true. Having said that, I do agree. That And this is nothing to do with millennials. I think it's just a sign of the times that our attention span has, by definition, started reducing. And there are many reasons for it. I don't want to go into this. Maybe another podcast, we'll talk about it. But there are, there are many social reasons. There are many technological reasons. There are many reasons because of which our ability to 
pay undivided attention to any one activity at a time has diminished a lot. And that is why, and you can see signs of this. You can see signs of, uh, there are no more long three-hour movies. There are no more 800-page books. There are, everything is becoming, you know, shorter. And even when you ask uh, uh, for, like, uh, like I write in, the, uh, in, in several newspapers, and it's always like 800 words. So there isn't room now for essay. Uh, there is, but much, much limited, uh, uh, reduced room for uh, longish treatises, longish essay-like uh, uh, conversations. Not because you can't write it, but because people won't read it. They will, they will skim through and they will look at that. So that definitely is a phenomenon that has happened. Having said that, I think it's great news uh, for individuals because anybody who decides that I'm going to focus on this one task with exclusion of every other distraction will be head and shoulders over the others because all the others, what they are doing is they're taking a nail and they are hammering it in a table, one blow here, another blow here, another blow here, and wondering why the nail is not going inside the table. Whereas what you would be doing is taking the nail, holding it in the same place and hitting it five times so that with each stroke, it goes a few inches in and enters the table or, or, or crosses the wood. So in other words, in a world where everyone has ADD, anybody who has the ability to focus even 15, 20, 30% more than the others will succeed because you will be the person who will be able to do that task because of focus. Now, a lot of people ask me, what is focus? And I think there are many, many definitions of focus. Uh, I like the definition of focus, which I read, uh, I think it was Al Rice who wrote in uh, his book called Focus. He said, focus is not about what you are focusing on. Focus is your obsession on that task to the extent to refuse every other distraction. So let me say that again. Focus is not what you're focusing on. Focus is your willingness to give up anything else other than what you're focusing on. You know, we have this, uh, 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 you might be aware, we have this epic in India called the Mahabharat. And in that, there is a story of uh, Arjun, who is a very famous archer. And uh, it's a long story. I'll tell you a short version. So eventually, there is a competition in which there is a, a, a fish which is placed on a revolving disc uh, in the ceiling. And you're supposed to look into the reflection of that fish in a bowl of oil. And then you're supposed to take the bow and fire the arrow into the eye of the fish looking at the reflection. And Arjun does that. And before he's going to fire the arrow, he's asked, what do you see? What do you see? And many people give the answer. Those who have read the epic also, they give the answer incorrectly. They say, Arjun says that I can see only the fish's eye. That's what most people will tell you, even those who know the story. They will tell you this, that I can, in Hindi, they would say, Mujhe sirf ki aankh nazar I can only see the fish's eye. But that's not what Arjun says. What Arjun says is, I can see nothing except the fish's eye. And there's a very big difference. The, the key to focus is to let go of every other temptation that will come on your path to focus on what you're going to focus on. So I think uh, a good measurement of focus would be for an individual to say, what temptations am I willing to give up? What I'm in, uh, okay, I'm, I, I don't want to hang out with my friends for the next 10 evening because I'm preparing for this. I want to miss that. And many people do that. I mean, even in your professional career, as you go ahead in life, you will see that most people who 
sort of uh, uh, rise up to the top, they will miss a lot of family functions. They will miss a lot of birthdays of their kids. They will miss a lot of events with, because they have taken a conscious choice that what I'm focusing on, uh, the measurement of my intensity is what I'm willing to give up uh, to focus on this. Uh, the second point is, uh, I, think, I think this is nothing new. It was always there, but I think it bears reiteration that a lot of us who think we are doing multitasking are actually not doing multitasking. There's no such thing as multitasking. It's been scientifically proven now that there is no, uh, no such thing as multitasking. What, what's happening is our brain is uh, dividing its attention between multiple tasks, giving them a sliver of attention rather than focused attention. And if a person does three tasks uh, in uh, an hour, vis-a-vis another person who devotes 20 minutes to do three tasks in an hour, it's been proven that the latter's efficiency is far more than the former's. Yes, the former might look more macho holding a phone with one hand, drinking coffee, typing and all of that, looks like a very busy person. But in terms of actual efficiency, uh, he or she isn't getting much done compared to the one who is uh, completely focused on one task at a time. You know, um, a lot of us face this, you, you mentioned it earlier, because of social media. Social media is popping up, we're getting so many notifications, it's tough to focus on one thing. And uh, I, I read a study that said that if you leave the tasks that you're doing, and you go onto Facebook or you do something else, it takes you around 20 minutes to get back into the, the same focus that you were in before you even just left for five seconds. So that's kind of a thing that a lot of people struggle with. And just for everybody who's listening, if you, if you struggle with social media, I downloaded this thing called Newsfeed Eradicator. I'll put it in the show notes. As soon as you t- go into Facebook, it takes away your newsfeed. You can only see notifications and that's it. Just a side note, because that'll save you a lot of time on social media. Now, Captain Raman, I want to go into discipline. Uh, in the army, discipline is huge. It's hugely important. You know better than anybody. Now, can you talk about the importance of discipline and the way that the army views discipline and its importance to the lives and the success of a mission? I, I, I don't want to make the answer army specific because then a lot of people believe that it is something that is required only in the army and not in uh, other fields. And that's not true. Matter of fact, I want to go back to a very famous experiment that's uh, been done uh, several years ago. You can Google it up. It's a very well-known experiment where they uh, basically uh, they went to a kindergarten school, the, the scientists who were doing this, uh, psychologists, and they... Uh, they gave the children an option. They placed two sweets or two marshmallows in this case in front of the children. And they said that you can take one uh, immediately if you like. Uh, but if you were to wait for five minutes, you can take both of them. And, and then the, uh, you know, sort of the experimenters would leave the room and they would study what the child did. Uh, some children uh, would uh, not wait. They would, they would be so tempted that they would immediately pick up and, and take it. Some other children would withhold their, their temptation to pick up one of the sweets uh, for a period of time before they succumb. And there were certain other children who just did not take the second suite until the five minutes was over. They even came up with coping strategies like not even looking at the suites that stared at some other place. Uh, that wasn't the experiment. The experiment was happened to the kids uh, after 30 years. So the kids were studied, their, their, their entire uh, you know, sort of life was studied and they found that people who could delay gratification, who could delay it, who could exercise that uh, willpower who could exercise so willpower is like a muscle and like any other muscle you could be strong or weak in it and 
the children who could uh, exercise the willpower to uh, delay their gratification they did exceedingly well in life and uh, children who couldn't do it who were very impulsive who who could not uh, restrain themselves many of them i mean of course i'm drawing an extreme but many of them actually ended up in prison and and doing stuff uh, which uh, yeah because their their inability to think through the consequences of their action which were driven totally by the in the moment temptation so discipline is is a muscle this is not uh, this is not uh, it's it's an it's a trait in in individuals it's not something that is unique to any one profession of course in the army it has to be of the highest order because it's a question of life and death you're going to ask troops to go into battle and you're going to ask them to face uh, uh, in some cases almost certain death so you really can't have people who are uh, indisciplined there but the fact is discipline is the bedrock of pretty much anything that you want to achieve in life whether you want to become an athlete whether you want to become really good at coding whether you want to become really good you want to become really good at something you have to put yourself through several iterations of that particular activity and at some point of time no matter how exciting that activity is if you repeat it long enough it does get boring and then it's only discipline that makes you do it again and again and again and i think it's very important for us to recognize that we very often see i mean try and visualize a gold medalist going to receive the medal in the olympics and visualize the whole stadium standing up and her national flag going up and national and you look at that moment if i wish i was that person but nobody sees the 17 years of training when the same athlete would wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning train 8 hours uh, grueling tough schedule nobody sees that or you're aware of it i i must have been a lot of training before you got over here but you don't see that and i think it's that aspect is extremely important that to understand you want to achieve something meaningful there have to be layer after layer after layer of hard willed discipline that has to form the bedrock of the foundation of anything that you're trying to build over it so it's not something unique to the army you 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 want to do anything meaningful in life there has to be an element discipline present in your uh, in your uh, in your you know in yourself and and how do you build that discipline you know say there's there's someone that is wanting to go to the gym every day and and he or she is not able to do it or they're wanting to start a new venture and it's just ideas on a paper and never actually gets executed are there ways that you know that you've learned from the army or anywhere in your career as being a ceo that have helped you be more disciplined and stay on task well i i wish i, I wish there was this uh, you know energy drink i could tell you if you drank that you will suddenly become more disciplined but life is not like that i think there are two components which are very important if you want to bring in discipline in anything that you do first is a compelling need to achieve that object you have to be obsessed with achieving that object to a certain degree that i need this i have to make this happen or it may be the second is to recognize that nothing in life nothing i mean i have worked in in arguably what would uh, most people would think is an amazingly glamorous you know you in the army you're doing this and in the nothing in life no profession no career no job uh, will be 100% fun i mean you'd be lucky if you had about 50% fun and 50% of drudgery uh, you, there's no going away from that there's no going i mean even uh, even as a kid i'm sure there must have been a part in your life when you were growing up when you looked at these movie stars and said wow what an amazing life you know 
you actually go and watch one shoot. You you just see one shooting and you suddenly say, shit, man, just to get this 30 seconds right, how much of, how many repeats have to be done? So nothing in life can be achieved without, uh, nothing meaningful, as I said, can be achieved without a certain amount of drudgery in it. So when you combine these two fundamental truths together, that A, I need to be looking healthy, looking beefed up, looking whatever. So that's a compelling need to go to the gym. And recognizing that going to the gym on a daily basis is not that fancy advertisement that you see of smiling people. And nobody smiles at the gym. Everyone's grunting and sweaty. And you know. so very clearly, you need to know that that persona or the image that I'm going to see in the end, it has a good amount of drudgery. I'm not saying all of it is drudgery, but a fair amount of drudgery in it, which I have to go through. So when you put these two components together, I think uh, you have the answer. So if somebody says, I can't drag myself to the gym, what the person is saying, I, I really don't want the end objective. I say it. I say I want it, but deep down, I don't want it. Because fact is all of us, all of us. We get up in the morning with, uh, you know, 100 ounces of uh, mojo. Let's put it that way. How we choose to allocate that mojo tells us what our priority is, not, not how we talk to our friends. So if you talk to a friend and say, you know, actually, I'm very interested in going to the gym and I want to do cycling and I'm planning to go for a trek. They asked him, so what did you do in the last one week? Oh, last one week I was watching movies. And so you very clearly know that we vote with our time. Remember that. This is a very, very powerful uh, uh, compass to guide you. We vote with our time. So if I vote to seek something, but my vote of time is going somewhere else, then I need to know that actually I want this. I may be saying I want that, but my actions show that I want this. So once you correct the, the sort of uh, uh, difference between what you state, and this is not necessarily stating to people. You may, one, of the, one, of the, one of the most common forms of deception we do very, very often, and, and most often is self-deception. So we will say that I want, I want I want a new year resolution that I'm going to do this. I, on, on my birthday, I'm going to start giving this up. Or after I'm 18, I'll do this. And then you watch yourself for the next three weeks and see whether you're doing that. If you're not doing that, you actually don't want it. You, you really don't want it. Because if you wanted it, you would put in. So I would go back to questioning the uh, intent uh, rather than saying, why is it that put an alarm or do this, remind a friend, let someone come and deposit money if you don't go. All that is bullshit. Those are, those are stupid, including this app that you're installing, which will cut off your feed. That is, <laughs> if you don't want to be distracted, take away Facebook. Just take it away from your uh, uh, phone and say that I will check Facebook on my laptop because you're unlikely to go to your laptop every you know minute, but your phone is with you, right? So it shows what you want. Now it very clearly shows that I don't want to give up Facebook, but I want to pretend that I'm putting some sort of a discipline in Facebook. So that's my <laughs> limited way of looking at discipline. That, yeah, that's that's really interesting. And, and something that I'm just learning from this, it's... It, if you're not disciplined in something, it's it's because you don't really feel it inside of you. So I guess it's not about wanting something. It's about really finding out what exactly you want, not just doing it for social media or your peers or anything like that. It's because that you deep down actually want to do it. So that's that's a very cool thing to learn. And Captain Ramon, I just want to end with a few quick fire questions. Um, one, do you have any books that you recommend people read? It can be on anything, but that you have found to be impactful for you. 
You know, I, I used to answer these questions uh, with uh, three books that I'm really influenced by or five books that I'm reading nowadays. But I think I have actually changed my uh, way of looking at it uh, because of some experiences in the last few years. I, I think I, I would tell people just read, just read. Uh, don't don't worry about which book and what impressed you. It doesn't really matter. I, th- I think the same book can influence different people in different ways. Uh, the trick is to so here, here it's an easy way to explain this. You know, and I just want to connect it to the previous. Uh, you know, because sometimes when I talk to young people, I tell them that you should do away with these social media distractions. And a lot of them pop up and say, "But you learn so many things from Facebook, and you learn so many things from Instagram." I mean, sure you do. Uh, I don't know if you are aware of this, but if you picked up earth, raw dirt from outside your house, there is gold in that as well. I don't know if you know that. There is gold in that. There is, there is a, that's a microscopic element of gold. But the cost of extracting that gold will be more than the cost of the gold that you will get out of it. I want to use that simile to explain to you that at times you will get knowledge from these sources. Nobody is debating that. Of course you will get knowledge from these sources. But the amount of knowledge that you're going to get out of it is not worth the effort that you're going to be spending to get that knowledge. Far easier to get it from the most um, purest uh, seam of gold, which is books, because that's where real knowledge exists. It's, after all, taken somebody an extreme amount of effort to think about. Thousands of people want to write a book. A few hundred end up writing it. A few dozen end up publishing it. And the book that has reached a bookshelf is is sort of the distilled, uh, it's gone through seven. So I would urge just read, read a lot, read different kind of books, read books that uh, are uh, uh, very different from your domain, which are very different from your interest. And that to my mind is a much better way of uh, learning rather than recommending this one book or that one book. Because usually those are, uh, those are influences of that temporal uh, phase. You know, you're going through a certain phase, you're reading something and you're very excited by that. So you recommend it to everybody. But what you forget is it's your reaction to something rather than what was intrinsically there. So what is intrinsically valuable will find value or different value to different people. And so therefore, rather than recommending A book or B book, I would just recommend that we must. So if you already read, read more. If you don't read, read. That's that's my simplest uh, sort of advice in that score. And Captain Roman, just to end with, people who listen to this podcast and myself are super interested in habits and routines that make up someone who's doing something impactful. So are there any non-negotiable habits or routines as part of your day that you have to do to feel like you had a successful day? Well, uh... I, I can say that there, there are some non-negotiables in every day. I, I'm not pretending for a moment that I don't break those rules once in a while myself. Mm-hmm. So um, I would rather give you some advice and not pretend that I necessarily follow the advice. <laughs> but as they say in the holy book, uh, uh, listen to what the priest tells you to do. Don't do what the priest does. So with that caveat, I'll, uh, I, I think there has to be... Uh, Anything that you do uh, or will do in your life depends on how healthy you are. And, and I mean it quite literally. I've seen people who are low on stamina, who give up negotiations because they don't have the energy to do it, who, who go with bad deals, who uh, stamina, strength, mental robustness, these are all muscles. 
These aren't something that you're bestowed with. These are muscles that you develop by exercising it again and again and again. So if you have one routine in your life that is difficult to do, uncomfortable to do, and yet you do it every day again and again, and I say every day, I mean maybe five days in a week or six days in a week with one cheat day or one off day or whatever, that develops a muscle for doing something that you may not very, not, not look forward to. I mean, nobody really looks forward to going for a run. Of course, when you start running, it's fun. But nobody looks forward, trust me on this. I mean, nobody looks forward to getting up in the morning, that freezing winter and putting on your and going for a run. Once you start running your body walk. So that discipline of dragging yourself out and doing it. So one activity which requires you to exercise uh, or push your body to exercise. I don't mean it. So I'm not saying exercise every day. I'm saying one activity which forces your mind to exercise control over your body. One every day. One uh, activity every day which exposes you to some new knowledge. And here I, I, I would include a long list, whether it's uh, uh, reading, whether it's uh, listening to uh, talks or whatever. If you say that in my, in my day, I will put together these four or five, three, two, I don't know, uh, markers which will improve me, which will require a certain amount of effort to do, and I will do it over a period of time. So in a 365 day year, I will do it more than 300 times. Uh, I may falter maybe 20, 30, 40 days, but the bulk, I will do it. Then you're exercising that muscle called discipline. You're exercising that, uh, that uh, the, the, the energies and the, the competence you need to be able to focus on something, to, to keep at it when others have given up. And I think that if you were doing every day, choosing anyone, and some people choose to exercise, some people choose to write, some people say, okay, I'm going to write a journal every day, no matter what happens in the day. I am going to write at the end of the day, maybe three pages of what really happened and they pursue it uh, as a discipline. So anything that you decide that you want to do on a regular basis, which is hard, to do, which, which requires an effort. So you can't say that, okay, I've started a practice of, you know, uh, sleeping most of the time as a exercise for discipline. That, that won't work. So it's something that requires you to come out of your comfort zone and, and stretch out from your comfort zone with the act of the mind over the body. If you find that one activity and try to find something that you like doing anyway, my sense is that would be the best, uh, uh, best self, best way to, to develop a regime of self-discipline. Of course, when you join organizations like the army, the army does it for you. So you don't have to <laughs> do that self-discipline exercise because the army does it for you. But I think it's, it's much better if you find one activity or more than one activity, which requires you to exercise uh, mind over matter kind of uh, discipline every day. That's amazing. And that's a great place to wrap up. Captain Raman, thank you so much for coming on the Thanks podcast. Thanks, really And thank you to everybody for tuning into this podcast. If you have any questions, make sure to leave them in the comment section below and I'll forward them over to Captain Raman. If he has time, we'll get to them and get back to you. So thank you again. Thanks, See you in the next one.